Yeah, she'll teach you how to be artistically you. Not afraid to talk about what's taboo. So don't play small. Join the podcast with Nikki Collins. Autism on. Hello and welcome to today's show. My name is Nikki Collins and I'm joined by Candice Christiansen. Candice has been a licensed clinician for nearly 20 years. She's late diagnosed autistic and the founder and clinical director of Namaste Centre for Healing, a holistic healing centre in Utah, USA. Candice and her expert clinical team specialise in providing individual, couple therapy, intensives and groups to non neurodivergent and neurodivergent individuals, plus mixed neurotype couples from all over the world with a variety of intimacy, relationship and sexual issues. Candice has recently written an ebook, which we'll talk about today, entitled Understanding Your Sexual Sensory Profile, which is a topic she teaches as part of her 12-week web-based neurodiverse connections class. Candice is also the host of Fabulously Candice, the sexiest podcast about neurodivergence. So thank you for being here today, Candice, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Nikki. It's so lovely to be with you today. It's great because we've we've spoken a little bit, mm-hmm. but we haven't actually managed to connect. Connect. I know. It's so fun to meet so many people on LinkedIn and then when you do podcasts together or calls, it's just, it's like we've known each other forever. So, and then people say we have communication issues. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. We can't shut them up. (laughs) I know. I know we're changing that though. Aren't we? We're changing that whole stereotype stigma. Absolutely. And I like to talk about topics that some people find slightly uncomfortable, and I strongly believe that sex is one of those topics. Sex definitely is. I mean, you've built your business around intimacy and relationships, so there's a a clear, clear need for more of what you do and not less. That's true. Yeah, I. you know what's funny is that when I first started out, I was in substance abuse before I went into private practice Mm -hmm. and got completely burned out. And so, like you said, I built my business. I really have. I thought I need a niche. Like, what am I going to do next? And in Utah, which was shocking at the time, my practice blew up with females who had out-of-control sexual behavior, meaning what some people call sex addiction Mm. or where they were literally just like, I'm struggling. I don't know what to do females. And that actually surprised me now, obviously, gosh, it's been over a decade since I've had a practice and then moved into a holistic center. Clearly our population has evolved and changed since then, but it was, it's just interesting. You know, I think when I, Utah actually is quite progressive I think a lot of people hear about Utah and they think, oh, there's this very strong religious culture. But because of that, there's also uh, a very open-minded culture. So we were the second in the nation to uh, make gay marriage legal. And I don't, the second state in the nation have, we have a huge BDSM kink community, a huge swinger community. 
And so, yeah, sex. And there's a lot of issues with sex here, I think, because of um, sex being exactly what you said, so taboo. Um, I think there's issues with sex everywhere. I think we have Mm -hmm. major issues with sex everywhere. But I will say in Utah, um, our business is booming. And there is definitely not a lack of business in terms of helping individuals and couples work through all kinds of sex and intimacy issues. So yeah, we're busy. I can imagine that you are. (laughs) (laughs) Are you expanding the, uh, the practice? We have, I mean, we have, um, I have four clinicians that work with me, um, a chief program officer, who's also a clinician. And then my partner has come on board, who's getting his PhD in psychoneuroimmunology. So he does a lot of coaching and kind of the brain body balancing hormones Mm. with a lot of our clients. So we have a decent sized team, seven or eight of us, um, and, you know, that might be small compared to some other programs where it's like 30 clinicians and four sites, but we're so specialized. I mean, we really are specialized when you're talking about sex and intimacy, and then you bring in the component of mixed neurotype couples and neurodivergence, neurological differences. It's a niche for sure. So I like it that way. And I want, I really want our clients to feel like we customize their treatment experience, that they're not just a number in a mill, that it's not just like garden therapy. I mean, we're really, we're the cardiologists, mm. you know, if when you're coming in and it's like, we've got this open rupture in our relationship, we are, we are the specialists, the cardiologists that go in and aren't scared to work with some of the most challenging challenging situations for couples that's amazing I think when people think of addiction they think of all sorts like gambling or like smoking drinking drugs they don't think about sex being an addiction yeah yeah and the DSM-5 the diagnostic manual um, the latest one came out and I believe is talking about it in terms of a compulsion you know the the term sex addiction has always been very controversial depending on the sex camp. So sex therapists hate it. Sex addiction therapists, who, which I am, I'm a certified sex addiction therapist. We understand the, the brain and the biology around it. Um, but I also understand, I don't care about the label. I care about who's in front of me mm. and And who is telling me, you know, I've had people say to me, I look at porn while I'm driving my car, Nikki, you know, it's like, okay, you, that is out of control. Yeah. Or I'm so stressed out at work. I have to go into the bathroom every 10 minutes and I have to masturbate because I'm so stressed out. And, you know, I have nothing against masturbation. I think there's definitely, you know, understanding our bodies and having that be a beautiful part of our sexual experience is one thing. But when people are using it, sex, to cope with anxiety, depression, stress, it's like bringing alcohol into the picture. You know, Mm -hmm. I have to drink to relax. And so, or I have to shoot up so that I can manage my day, you know? So, um, so yes, there is definitely an addictive component to sex and it's, it definitely, when we look at it, is more of an attachment issue, believe it or not. 
it's highly based on trauma for so many people. There's a lot of trauma repetition Mm. that happens in compulsive sexual acting out. But let me kind of put a spin on it. When I work with neurodivergent individuals who are, say, addicted to pornography, right? Mm -hmm. Where they're looking at it for hours and masturbating to the point of injury. That to me is more of a visual sensory seeking behavior or visual stim. And then masturbation becomes a tactile stim. So we're looking at so much more than trauma. We're looking at even sensory trauma Mm. where there's just this, I'm so overloaded by my environment that I literally have to, I sensory seek by going here and then to to top it off, I get a huge dopamine hit by a tactile stim. So Mm. I do a lot of work with our neurodivergent clients around that in terms of first, let's identify what is overwhelming in your environment, because as we know, that is huge. I mean, you you have no lights on in your room, it looks like, and I have soft lighting everywhere. There's a reason for that that mm-hmm. people don't take into consideration that this, yeah. if I had fluorescent lights going on right now, oh. I actually would be super irritated and on edge right now with you. Absolutely. Just that, yeah. just because of that. But for other people who are not neurodivergent, like my, my partner might be like, I can handle fluorescent lights. Like, what are you talking about? It doesn't bug me at all. But for me, no, that that'll set me off. That'll set me off. So that can set someone down the path of, I get me out of here or I have to find an escape into if their vice is sex or porn. Mm. Ah. Makes total sense. I know that in my younger years, I was rather naughty. And <laughs> <laughs> and looking back, it was absolutely a coping mechanism. It wasn't just about massaging my ego. It was about... I, I, I agree with the, the stims mm-hmm. uh, and well, I'd be silly not to, you're the expert on this, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I was thinking about stims before you said it. And I know that a, a lot of my younger years, I made some very reckless choices and I had a big background in trauma. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until this year in January, I decided I was going to stop drinking alcohol and everything that had happened sort of the mm. reason why I'd started drinking then became clear and I'd been groomed from the ages of 13 to mm. 16 and I'd been sexually assaulted during those years mm-hmm. and it and that was when I started drinking so we take these coping mechanisms in my case alcohol and sex and we use them to make ourselves to feel better about mm-hmm. the world around us yeah. But it's not necessarily the healthiest approach. No. Well, and I think I I can relate to that. I I stopped drinking in February and I I just thought it I don't feel good when I do it. I'm noticing I'm doing it to be social. And I had done that for years because I, if I don't have a script, I just get really anxious in social settings where I don't know what to expect. I mean, on a podcast talking about my business. 
I know exactly what to say and what to expect, but put me in a social setting. It's like, oh, you know, I get mm-hmm. locked up and, and I was drinking to be more social. And, but then like what you're saying, I found myself being impulsive. And then sometimes I would say too much or, and I also have a history of being groomed and manipulated, which is so common for neurodivergent individuals. Yeah. So common for us to be easily manipulated by people because we're trusting and we're open. And, and then you add, like you said, alcohol in the mix and it, it really is. It's so dangerous. So, yeah. So there's a lot of components there. Um, when I'm working with neurodivergent individuals that I take into consideration and I think it can be challenging bringing in the couple or the partner in the coupleship that is not, neurodivergent because a lot of times, especially if there's already been betrayal. So if there's been infidelity, yeah, the partner then, and then I say, well, I'm, you know, giving a diagnosis here of autism partner. That's an excuse. Her partner will say really one more thing on top of all of this that we have to deal with. And I have so mm-hmm. much compassion for betrayed partners. I am not saying anything mean against betrayed partners. What I'm saying, though, is, yeah, it is something that might complicate the situation or it might feel like another, quote, burden, Mm. but it's definitely not an excuse. If anything, hopefully it can help the coupleship understand different ways to communicate with each other. Oh, there's a neurological difference here. It's not all on the autistic person to be the communicator and learn how to communicate effectively. It does take two. But holy cow, Nikki, it gets really dicey. When there's been a betrayal, and then if we bring in a diagnosis, because a lot of times to the partner, it feels like one more thing, one more real, one more, and it does feel like a burden when, which is hard because, you know, and I know from, I know from living as an autistic person and then being late diagnosed, how hard it is. And, and what's hard is for me so much of how society says what's normal and what's not and feeling so abnormal. And so then on top of it, you know, for couples coming in when there's a new diagnosis for someone who's created the betrayal again, then there's that judgment piece with, which kind of adds on to feeling left out or, or I'm not good enough or, so that just is, it's just complicated. The work we do, it's very complicated, but it's also really rewarding. And I will say that if people are open, there can definitely be beautiful healing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I wasn't diagnosed until I was 34. I'm still self-diagnosed, self-diagnosis. And I'm now in the first relationship where I've known that I'm autistic. So it's been so different to all of the previous ones that have failed because there's been so much misunderstanding yeah. and me being basically looking like an arsehole because the communication mismatch yes. is so prevalent. Yeah. Yep. And me having like high mm-hmm. sex drive and my partner having a lower sex drive. Yeah. Now, now it's totally reversed and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but we found a balance and I Good. did it down on my 20 year plan that my partner needed to be steaming hot and mm. really enjoy sex. So 
I hope she doesn't kill me for sharing this, but <laughs> we're talking about Love sex. <laughs> we're talking about sex. Um, so, but it is so nice. And our relationship, it started, we had 22 months of long distance. Wow. And, uh, now we're five months into a local relationship. Awesome. And it's been a transition because you know what transition's like anyway when you're neurodifferent yeah. and you're autistic. Yes. yes. Hard, really, really hard. And it's been a learning curve, but it has shown that both of us can show up as our authentic self, me autistically authentic, and her. I'm not sure what her neuro what Something. her spices are. Yes, I love that. <laughs> but it's not typical. <laughs> yes, I love that. Well, I wonder, I truly wonder if anyone is neurotypical, to be honest. I mean, I get when I post about that on LinkedIn, people will respond by scientifically, and I get it scientifically, but really, does anyone have a typical brain? So I get you. I also loved how you said neurodifferent. I struggle with the word neurodivergent. I love the word neurodifferent. That's beautiful. And I'll just say too, Chris, my partner, Chris, and I, I love sex with Chris, but before Chris, I didn't love sex. In fact, in my first marriage, I was I would be considered sexually averse or sexually anorexic because I really struggled with, I had a ton of anxiety around sex. And then I was with men after that who, and some women who were just takers. They mm -hmm. were just takers in the bedroom, meaning they wanted to get off and they didn't care about me or my yeah. experience. So I found myself trying to figure out how to fit in with their their sexual sensory profile, if you will, and what they wanted all the while faking orgasm, because I was like, I don't, I don't, I, I was masking mm -hmm. and faking orgasm is masking too. So yeah. with Chris, I noticed that um, he and I just have very similar energy and sexual sensory, sensory profiles where we just get each other and it, and it makes it really hot and awesome. So hopefully your partner, since I shared about mine is cool with us sharing about sex with our partners. We'll see. Yeah. Say, I'm now divorced before I got married. You'll know why <laughs> I am joking. I am joking. Yeah. We're awesome. Very <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You can reach out to me. We'll do some coaching. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. So you've also written a ebook recently, haven't you? Yeah. I books, writing, I love to write. I'm a really great writer, but it's very overwhelming to me. And I just got on Canva and I was kind of looking around and there was an easy way it walked you through it. So that's 15 pages. It's super simple. I took a handout. And I moved it and made it into an ebook. And it's about understanding our sexual sensory profiles. And no one really talks about that. But what does that mean? It's kind of like what we were talking about in the beginning. Mm. If during intimacy, the lights are all the lights are on, and that's something that activates your nervous system and you struggle to get aroused because it's so bright or staring at your partner or the textures of your clothing or sheets, or maybe there's lubricant or lotions, or maybe the pressure during sex isn't, doesn't feel good. All of those things impact our experience. Mm. And I don't think people realize that. Yeah. I think there's people are really quick to label it 
especially if, so proprioception is an example. Proprioception means feeling in my body. And for me, a weighted blanket helps me feel in my body, just like pressured sex helps me feel in my body. And so some people may label that as, you know, like rough sex or judge it. But the reality is, is like, no, it just helps me feel in my body and it's more arousing to me. Whereas some people may like to be tickled. I am so not that way. Thank you. I I hear that a lot too from neurodifferent people. Mm. I do not like light touch. If you're going to touch me, massage, I want pressure. I want to have feel like, you know, I'm not like, no, that doesn't do anything for me. So, (laughs) so that's, you know, I really, I've gotten a lot of really positive responses from my, about my book so far, because I had one person say who was in a mixed neurotype relationship, they weren't um, neurodifferent that said, oh my gosh, this sheds so much light on my relationship because Mm. I took it personally when my partner wouldn't look at me when in fact, like I'm realizing that maybe that was, that had nothing to do with me. And so the key is having a conversation about it. Like what, what sexual, what sensory issues do you have? If any, for both people for, or, or not just two, maybe you're in a poly relationship or a triad or whatever, you know, if you're into groups and, having a conversation so that everyone knows what you like and don't like sensory wise is important. I turned on music the other night and Nikki, oh my gosh, I I just laughed like it was, you know, it said sex on YouTube, sexy music. I was like, I just, yeah, it was not my, my thing. I was like, no. So, but you know, try new things. And then if you don't like it, great. If then you know, at least with each other, but there has to be a conversation. And I would say there needs to be a conversation outside the bedroom. Yes. Not, not in the act. Yeah. But if something isn't working while you're in the act, say it, say it, then you need to say it. You need to say it. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, I'll say stuff. I mean, I, I've definitely gotten better about this, but you know, Smells are very, I'm very sensitive to smells. So sometimes I'll say like, why don't we go use some mouthwash before we start? Or, you know, like maybe we could shower really quickly, you know? So I definitely, I, I used to just be so blunt that I, during intimacy, it, I, it hurt Chris's feelings. So it's like, okay, I'm, I'm aware of that. I don't want to insult or offend him, you know? But you're right. During the act, if it's something's not working, it's okay to say it. But it's also important to know before you get there, like start talking about it. Start talking about it non-sexually. What sensory issues, you know, do you have for both people? Because Mm -hmm. I really think the world's too loud. I do. I think the world is just too much for humans. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think every human needs to talk about your sensory profile and your sexual sensory profile. I was actually talking about this earlier to somebody about how bright and loud noise is. And that if mm-hmm. we actually catered at to neurodiversity as a whole, yeah. we'd find that even the people who identify as neurotypical would actually appreciate being able to step into the into the grocery store, into the shopping yes. and do their weekly shop. Without music blaring, without there being this terrible lighting, there are sensory hours 
at some points in some shops it's so so badly done that I couldn't tell you who does it or when so if we can do it for an hour why can't we just make it plus is that not going to cut Mm -hmm. down on their lighting bills if we start to use lower things so oh my gosh everything it's like we go to a restaurant. Why do I want to be yelling because the music's so loud? So I have my earbuds. Literally, here's my purse. I have my earbuds attached. Just I and sometimes it's like we just will say, "Can you turn the music down?" I mean, the speaker right there. Mm-hmm. How are you supposed to have a conversation? No wonder why everyone's agitated. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I was saying this again. I was saying this earlier to someone. We took the kids out for a birthday meal because they turned 16 and my son and stepdaughter, there's only a few days between them. So we went out in the middle and there was a table of about 20 sat across the way from us. And by the time Mm -hmm. it came to paying, I said to my other half, I said, I'm done. I'm going to go and pay and I'm going to sit outside by the car. So you and the kids can faff about for as long as you like. I don't mind waiting, but I'm in here. I'm done. Yeah. And that's fine. And we also know that when I get to that point, I then yes. need to go home and decompress and sex is a last thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So don't come near me. No, no that, well, yeah. That, <laughs> I'm that way too. And I will say, Emily Nagoski, she actually just came out as neurodifferent and she wrote a book called Come As You Are a few years ago. It is a fantastic book. And she talks, she's a sex researcher and talks about how there's a very low percentage of people that when stressed, they they want sex. Mm. So I'm the same way. We actually bought a little camper. We're going to start going camping. I just am craving nature right now. Same thing last week during the whole negotiation process of buying, it is like buying a car. It's very stressful and they're very gamey. They're salespeople. And it was very loud. And there's a lot of people and a lot of change. And I just said, I'm done. I'm done. I'm going outside. And then I had to just stim on my phone, visually stim. And then I was, I just needed some air. I had to get away. And then I think I took a nap when I got home. Like I was exhausted from the whole overstimulation. Mm. Last thing on my mind is is sex. And so I love how you're saying that too, because everyone, every single person has their own sexual sensory profile, but also their own arousal template. And so it is up to people in relationships to figure out what works for you sexually. Does it work to be impulsive and just spontaneous and have sex whenever, or do you need to plan it out Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or on Saturdays, or it doesn't matter. It depends on the individual, the coupleship, the poly relationship. It's just about having a conversation. Exactly. And to me, that would be absolute torture if we schedule, try to schedule oh. it in. Oh, yeah. Same here. Yeah. I can't schedule sex. But I don't want to... I don't want to judge the people that are listening that say that say we've got kids though, or, you know, Mm. like, so we can only have sex when they're at school between three and five or whatever, nine and one. Clearly I don't have young kids in the home, but (laughs) you know, I get it. I get it. Or a quickie for an hour because we've got a small window. I get it. I have so much compassion for couples who have young kids or don't have any space. Yeah. You've got Mm -hmm. to get creative. But what's missing for people, and I apologize, there's vacuuming outside, so sorry for the noise if you can hear it, 
it's about communication and too many couples do not communicate about the hard stuff and sex can be a very delicate, fragile and hard conversation to have because we all have arousal templates and we all come from somewhere. We all have a sex story. Exactly. We all, and sex is so misrepresented in mm-hmm. America, the human culture. It's so misrepresented worldwide, worldwide, worldwide. Mm-hmm. worldwide. And especially in the U S I will say, I mean, it's just body bodies are like, I, Anyway, don't get me started on that. It's like, <laughs> it's very degraded. You know, sex, sex, sexuality is very degraded, except sex sells everywhere. So there's a constant, it's just this constant contradiction. It's a contradiction. Hmm. You know, sex yeah. is beautiful. You know, it's like, it's beautiful, but yet then it's degraded. And then it's, there's all this judgment around it. And, but everyone's doing it and sex sells in the media and everyone's, looking sexy and sexual in the media but yet sex is supposed to be specifically have all these rules and it's bad sick and wrong and it's like oh my god exactly you know? and then and then we have laws that are created which i won't get into the oh, very political my. don't get me started but uh, that dictate what happens after we have sex and what we do with our bodies so honestly it's like We've got to change the dialogue because sex isn't the issue. It's people. People are the issue around sex. Absolutely. And that starts from such a young age as well by not labeling your body's parts. Yes. Vagina. It's penis. Yes. These words, they're not dirty words. Exactly. Anatomically correct. Exactly. Oh. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah, we have to start young with education that and how can you just accept your body? Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with your body and and helping children, all children, no matter what gender, you know, there historically has been a focus on, you know, children that identify, for instance, as females, but it's like every gender of child needs to be able to identify their body parts so that, and know how to protect their body parts and know who's safe to let, you know, be around regarding their bodies when there's bath time or whatever, because we don't necessarily live in the safest world. And that's the reality. But when you shame body parts and something happens to a child like abuse, then they're shamed and scared like they've done something wrong. And we've got to create safety around that. You know, we've got to create safety for children growing up to be okay in their bodies so that we can have adults that are okay with our bodies. Because I can speak for me, but my God, I have, I'm almost 49. And I spent my entire life hating my body and how I look. And it's torture. Yeah, It's exhausting. Mm-hmm. It's partly trauma based, but it's partly growing up in a shame environment. And it's so common. So, so common. Oh, so common. Mm. And the other thing about just skipping back to kids as well and not being taught mm-hmm. what their bodily body parts are actually called is that when you give them a, a weird, airy, fairy name, which I can't even think of anything, cupcake, muffin. Oh, my God. And then you go into school and a child opens up to a trusted teacher about someone touching their muffin. Yeah. It means nothing. It means nothing. It's very nothing. confusing. It's very, very confusing. And so I do think parents are getting better about it, but there is a long way to go. Yeah. There's, I mean, you and I could talk for days about just the political ramifications, the religious ramifications when we're talking about sex and all that that gets mixed in to create humans that feel so 
can I swear on here? Yeah. Fucked up. Humans that feel really fucked up about mm-hmm. sex. Yeah. When sex can be, sex is supposed to be a real beautiful thing. Yeah. You it know, it, it, it just doesn't need to be this ugly thing. But I think what warps it for so many people is that shame and condemnation growing up around it, the taboo around it. Don't talk about it, you know, but yet it's everywhere, but we don't talk about it. I mean, that is so messed up for people. Yeah. And the rules are different for the different genders as well. Yes. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could get you started on a tangent there. Couldn't I? Can oh, leave, my gosh. We seriously could talk for hours because it really is. So I just love, I will say one thing I love. I love, I love the embracing of gender fluidity. I love, I just love that in our world because does it really matter? You know, I mean, really there, we've got to break those stereotypes about what's female and what's male. Cause it just, it's not working. It's not working. It's mm. not that black and white. It's not that black and white. And if you look at in history yeah and even to modern day there are tribes people that have a third gender which is yes male and female yes I've I've started to look into Mm -hmm. it I haven't gone down a rabbit hole totally yet Mm -hmm. because I'm being so busy but yeah it is a rabbit hole that I'm prepared to go down because I find it fascinating oh it's fascinating yeah I just think there's there's a lot of prejudices out there against anybody who identifies as anything other than normal and I say that I agree. in inverted commas yeah I agree yeah but um so what's next for you have you got any plans and projects in the pipeline oh my gosh <laughs> so I'm so sorry too they're cleaning right outside my door so it's getting louder and louder um or I'm just going to be sucked into the sex vacuum. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, <laughs> she's gone. She's gone. She's in the sex vacuum. <laughs> I'm working on the edits of a chapter I'm doing. It's, um, and I can't speak to it till the book comes out, but that really is, I'm really neck deep in that. I didn't realize how writing a chapter that's 20 pages long could be so extensive. And then when you have a publisher and an editor and two reviewers and everyone's looking at you with, you know, looking at your writing with a fine tooth comb and it's overwhelming. So that's really what I'm doing. I will say I'm excited about doing more eBooks on all the different topics with intimacy and communication and autism and neuro difference, because I just think those need to be out there. Just a quick read, something really quick for people. Mm. So I'm excited to do more of that, but I also need a quiet headspace Yeah, and my schedule's really full to do that. So this last week I wasn't feeling great. And when I don't feel great, I get really creative. Um, I'm not asking to not feel great to get more creative. I just need to have headspace to be able to write and do more creative things. So that's yeah. where I'm at, you know, that's where I'm at and nearing 50. So I'm really doing a lot to figure out balancing my life and not taking on too much. When I was in my 20s and 30s and even 40s, like early 40s, I was like all go, go, go 100 miles an hour, but I'm tired and I want to live more and I want to mm-hmm. work less and I want to have balance and and be more playful and happy. And so that's, I think, next for me too. Fabulous. So I've actually got, not personally, it's not my course, but I've I purchased a course called Work Earn More, Work Less. And it's yeah. 
that's what I'm working towards as well Good. because life's too short way too short we need to experience the world and we have do. as many memories and do as many things and different experiences as we possibly humanly can with that little bit of time that we've been gifted here on planet earth planet earth the one of many (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh if you haven't watched outer range have you heard of outer range it's kind of the sci-fi movie it's about different realms past future oh i'm like so sucked into that right now but i agree with you life life on planet earth is way too way way too short way too short. I have never had the cleaners be this loud, by the way. So I <laughs> honestly apologize to your listeners and I hope you can post this as a podcast because it's so loud outside, but yeah, life's too short. We need to play more, play more and enjoy sex more. Absolutely. Absolutely. I could talk to you about this for hours and hours and hours, Yay. but <laughs> we gotta go. We, we, gotta go. we both have different busy schedules. So <laughs> How can people find you? I will put this into the show notes, but how okay. can people find you, Candice? Namasteadvice.com or candicechristiansen.com, and that will be in the notes. And then people, I, I'm the one that responds to people when they email on the contact page of our website. So yeah, I get respond, I get people reach out from all over the world every day. So I, and I'm quick to respond. That's important to me. So yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. I think it's quick to respond because it's a it's a big scary thing reaching out when you you've got these challenges and to have to be then left in limbo waiting for an answer. It's painful. Really, yeah. really painful. Yes, definitely. So absolutely applaud you for taking just I mean, the work you do in general is incredible, but as well to have that philosophy and that quick turnaround is also fantastic <laughs> fabulously candace <laughs> absolutely <laughs> darling <laughs> absolutely well it's lovely to talk with you and um all the best on this podcast thank You're doing you amazing things thank you and thank you for your time today as well so that's yeah, awesome. you're welcome. appreciated thank, thank you. you and for our listeners Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never have to miss an episode again. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast with Nikki Collins. Autism on